This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It is so good to be here, really. And uh, Jack, thank you for your introduction and for all the work you put in to get us to be able to figure out a way to get my archives here at Berkeley at the Bancroft. And um, as you know, what I said uh, when we discussed it, and you, I know that Doug was uh, mentioned, my son, did they mention that you graduated from Berkeley? He graduated from Berkeley. <laughs> Thought that was an important point. Um, one of the things I said is, I'm going to give all my papers here, but um, I want it to be a living archive. I don't want it to just people to go into a room and pull out all my speeches and photos. And could we make sure that once a year we have a Barbara Boxer lecture and that uh, we also have an exhibit of some of the, um, the papers and the interesting artifacts that I've left uh, to Berkeley? Um, and they said yes. And the thing is, this is the only year I will be doing the Barbara Boxer Lecture, because in the future, every year, we will be selecting an up-and-coming progressive woman from either California or the nation and asking her to give this address. So you here in Berkeley, the students that really care about this, and I know a lot of you do, and I'm so happy so many of you are here, um, that you'll be able to keep an eye on the up-and-coming women in politics, which I think is critical for our country, whether you're a female or a male. And by the way, I want to thank all the men who are here today. I think the women should applaud the men who are here today. Because, I mean it sincerely, uh, because it's a, a, you know, a strong man that comes to hear a strong woman. I've always believed that. So uh, now you know that my papers are here at the library. I hope you'll avail yourselves of them. But you may ask, you know, why did I give my papers here? And the answer is in addition to Doug, who absolutely would have nothing else. Um, I love public schools. I love public schools. Um, yes. And I am a, a graduate of, uh, of public schools, all the way kindergarten through college. I grew up in New York. Anybody here knows New York at all? Um, a few people know New York. And uh, I went to Brooklyn College, where I met my husband. Thank you. Where I met my husband, Stuart. I was 18, and he was much older. He was 20, almost. And um, we've been married a very, very long time. And uh, I remember my father, we were very lower middle class and lived in a very tiny apartment, said to me one day, you know, honey, the tuition has gone up at Brooklyn College to $19 a semester. And he said, um, you're getting very expensive, honey. So I hope you understand that. Um, my grandkids are here, too. Uh, will you stand up, Zane and Raina? And, and wave to everybody. Wave to everybody. Come on, wave to everybody. And, and the reason I like to introduce them is because um, the fight goes on uh, because of, of you, because of them, because of, you know, their kids, too. It's a continuum, that's for sure. So um, 
I got this free education, pretty much free, and I went toe-to-toe with people from the fanciest schools uh, every day in the United States Senate. And I don't say that I won every debate, of course not, but I definitely held my own. And no one, no one could get away with anything because I was a graduate of public school and you stick up for yourselves. That's the way it is. Um, and in my, and in, my, in my book that I hope some of you will get, I've pre-signed some, but I can personalize it later. I'm going to do it, I think, out there, Nicole, right? Right up outside. Um, I talk a lot about how important it is to, to learn to be tough. And, and I don't think it's just about a woman in politics. I think it's anyone in life. And I think all of you will know, regardless of whether you're a student now, a teacher now, a business person, a community leader, a leader of a nonprofit organization, standing up for something, there's always somebody that's going to try to shut you down, shut you up, shut you down. That's the way it is. And even in a family situation. So you have to learn uh, not to take it personally. And when, when you see my book, I open it up with all the things that the right-wing pundits have said about me. I even left out the dirtiest ones, but there's a lot in there, like Aunt Coulter, <clears throat> who said, uh, Barbara Boxer's the perfect Democrat, female and learning disabled. Very sweet. How could she even come up with that? Donald Trump could come up with that, I think. But uh, look how long it took me to mention his name. Um, so so what, what I was able to do because of the education that I got and because of the strength that I developed thanks to a loving family and, um, and a lot of good luck, um, I had amazing, uh, amazing times in politics. Jack went through, I couldn't hear everything from out the door, but I know he went through a few of the accomplishments that I've had, and all of those came with big fights, you know, just come with big struggles. And uh, in my time of office, we had the fight uh, against AIDS, we had the fight uh, for gay marriage and gay serving openly in the military. When you heard about my fight against the Iraq War, I was happy you applauded because it was a lonely time because 85% of the people supported that war at the start, and they were so mad at me, and I stuck to it and said, I don't think this is a civil war. We don't belong there. You know, it's unjustified. And um, then when everybody turned against it two years later, they were mad at me because I couldn't end it fast enough. It's kind of, you know, you can't win. But it weighed on me for eight years um, just trying to end that war. Um, It was so hard. So I went through that. The fight for health care. You know that's on the line right now. Um, The fight to get a plan to lessen uh, the devastating impacts of climate change is in the middle of that one. Uh, The fight to keep offshore oil and gas drilling off the coast of California in the middle of that. The fight for clean air, safe drinking water, the Endangered Species Act. The fight for voting rights, the thing that we have to fight for voting rights, yes. It's unbelievable. for equal rights, for women's rights, for a woman's right to choose when we got that in 1973. Um, the fight for parental leave and, and child care. And I often joke, um, you know, because I'm barely five feet tall. I say when I started out, I was like 5'5", five, five, but I got beaten down. <laughs> Boom. Um, 
but um, the thing is, none of us is perfect. We, we're not. Our country's not perfect. That's why the founders said we got to work toward a more perfect union. So as frustrated as we get, we can't pull the covers over our head. That's why I'm really glad you're here, because it's easy to say, oh, Barbara Boxer, I didn't like when she did X or Y or Z. Of course you're not. You're going to find things. Nobody's perfect. The only perfect candidate for office is you yourself. In other words, that's the only candidate you'd agree with 100% of the time. And that gets frustrating for me because, especially when we're young, and I remember it, we wanted someone who thought exactly the way we did down the line. And sometimes that leads to unintended consequences. Um, there's an old, I love songs, I'm not singing any, don't panic, but um, there's an old song called Pass It On. And the reason I like to read the words, it's, a, it's an old labor organizing song from the 20s, is because I think that you should take it to heart. And the fact that you're here, I think you get it. But it's a song, the words that you have to hear. Freedom, freedom is a hard one thing. You have to work for it, fight for it, day and night for it. And every generation's got to do it again. Every generation's got to do it again. That's both heartening and disheartening, you know? Because you think something is settled, like voting rights, like civil rights, like human rights. No discrimination, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. You think it's settled, and then you wake up one day, it's all at risk. And guess what? That day is here. That day is here. Um, you know, Ben Franklin, he was one of those who gave us our Constitution. So he was, he was asked when they finally finished it, Mr. Franklin, have you given us a monarchy or a republic? And he replied, a republic if you can keep it. Okay? If you can keep it. Think about it. We got to keep it. No one else is going to keep it. Each of us has to keep it. It's our job. And that's why I'm glad that you're here to hear this. Because we are a country of laws, but those laws can be rewritten. Have you noticed? Uh, as you're seeing it today, and those, some of those are enforced by the courts, and those judges can be changed. You've seen that. Um, and it's hard to take away freedom. It's hard to do it, but it can be done when you tell people every day that the press is your enemy, and they're corrupt, and they're liars, and so people don't believe investigative journalism. You know, it's not what Hitler did in the first uh, three weeks, which was to arrest all the dissenters, take over all the outlets. It's not what Stalin did. It's not even quite what Putin did, but he did kill journalists and say if they reported the truth about Ukraine, there would be consequences. 
But when you tell people every day, the press is your enemy, don't pay attention, don't listen except to certain news outlets, and when you start talking about alternative facts, there's no such thing. Never use those words. Because it, it can't give it credence. There's either truth or lie. There's fact or fiction. Now, we can debate about what happened, but at the end of the day, there's facts. There's not alternative facts. So freedom is a hard one thing. Um, so without being so, um, let's say I haven't been direct yet, I'm going to be direct. I don't like Donald Trump. Does that shock you? <laughs> Donald Trump became president because of a low voter turnout. People say, oh, it's so complicated. What happened? What happened? Low voter turnout. In California, we had a huge voter turnout. 75% voter turnout. Extraordinary turnout. You should applaud California, our great state, right now for that. That's amazing. Amazing. But the overall turnout was 55%. And if you figure in that calculation is California at 75%, it's low. In those Midwest leaning blue states, very low. David Becker of the Center for Election and Innovation Research said turnout was down 3% from the last presidential race in Wisconsin, 4% down in Ohio, down in Iowa, down in Michigan, and Becker called that a death knell for Clinton. Why was this the case? Everyone has their reason. But negativity ruled the day. Negativity, attacks, FBI coming out 10 days out, opening up a phony baloney case. And I could feel the air go out of the campaign. And I could feel people say, you know what, she's ahead anyway, what the heck. I'm so annoyed at this. Ugh. And the polls were so wrong, they didn't come out. So I'm making this up without any science behind it. But it seems to me that's the obvious. So was Secretary Clinton the perfect candidate? Absolutely not. Am I the perfect candidate? No way. I told you, you're the only perfect candidate for yourself. But for me, when all of the emails hit, what I was saying to the press is, you know what, she didn't handle them right. And, and neither did most of us as elected officials. We mixed up our personal work with our work work, and we didn't handle it right. But if you take a piece of paper and you draw a line down the middle, and you say, what did Secretary Clinton do right in her life? And you find from the time she was a lawyer fighting for kids without a voice, and when she got to the Senate fighting for her state, 
and I know, fighting for a clean and healthy environment and for equal justice under the law. And as Secretary of State, putting women's issues on the map and then say, those were the good things. And the bad things, she was, did a terrible job with her emails. Okay, if that overpowers the other side, fine. But unfortunately, for some reason, we didn't get that message across. That's a problem. And instead, of course, we have a guy who insulted more than half the country. I'm going to list the people he insulted. And if I left anybody out, yell it out. He insulted women like crazy. That's already more than half the country. Immigrants. Muslims, African-Americans, veterans, the disabled. Did I leave anybody out? President Obama, right? Absolutely. What? And the Pope. We'll end it with that. Who else could you attack? You're absolutely right. So that was another... (laughs) All right, enough already with this inclusiveness. It's enough. Um, the bottom line is that negativity ruled the day. She didn't handle the assault on her right. I didn't get the message out as best I could for her. Um, Comey, WikiLeaks, uh, the Russians are coming. They came, and they did what they did. And. Trump was so outrageous, that's another reason people didn't vote. They thought he could never win. So what the heck, I'll stay home. Because I don't like this, and I don't like that, I'm not happy with this, I don't like that. Or I'll throw my vote away and give it to a third party. And that's what happened. Now, so much for looking back. How much time do I have left? Okay, 13 minutes. Okay. I want to give you time for questions. So now comes the Trump administration with the darkest inaugural speech in history. How many of you either watched it or read about it? Some of you couldn't stand to watch it. I couldn't, but I read about it. Okay. Um, I read the inaugural speeches of 10 other presidents, mostly Republicans. They lifted you up. Look, I didn't get along with a lot of these Republican presidents. I served with five presidents. fought Ronald Reagan hand-to-hand combat. (laughs) I did. He wouldn't say the word AIDS. He says, you've seen one tree, you've seen them all. You know, he went against working people, the air traffic controls. I was, read his inaugural speech. Uplifting. We're all together. Nobody fought hard against the war against George W. Then I did read his speech. Uplifting, beautiful. At least give an inaugural speech that inspires this guy. The only thing he said, I'm trying to find it here, was so dark. Oh, if I was his speechwriter, I would have read, I would have written this. I know that I'm Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> and it's the inaugural speech. I know this was a very difficult election. I know that, America. A bruising election. I know that, America. But whether you voted for me or not, I'm just asking you one thing. Give me a chance. Give me a chance. Hey, I wrote that for free. He had every speechwriter in the world. 
No, it's not what he said. It was so dark what he said. And the marchers, thank God for the marchers. They had organized the marches, but they listened to what he said. And the one united thing he said, uniting thing he said was so dark. He said, when it comes to prejudice and comes to differences, just remember uh, the blood we spill is all the same blood. Ooh, (laughs) that's dark. And that was about the happiest thing he said, that, (laughs) that our blood is alike. And so the marchers didn't hear anything but this negativity, so they marched. And I want to say what Alicia Keys said. Does anyone remember basically what she said? She said, we are mothers, caregivers, activists, artists, entrepreneurs, doctors, leaders of industry and technology. Our potential is unlimited. And that described the marches all over the world. And all in L.A., there were 750,000 people. Yes, the marchers had gotten an, a, a permit for 1,000 people. And 750,000 people showed up. America Ferrara, you know, she's that terrific uh, Latina actress, warned, and I agree with her, quote, we fall into the trap by, no, if we fall into the trap by separating ourselves by cause or label, we will weaken our fight, we will lose. If we stand together, steadfast and determined, we stand a chance of saving the soul of the country. That's the message, beautifully delivered. Again, we can find reasons to disagree, a hundred ways to Sunday, and that's all fine. But when it's time to go to the polls, let us unite, because if we don't, look what happens. Amen, I say to her. Um, That's why after this election, I expected to be going around the country giving speeches about the Clinton administration and the Democratic Congress. I was so excited. Whoops. (laughs) It all took a turn, and I um, was determined not to lose my voice now, not to to in any way slow down now. So I'm not. I, I expanded my political action committee. It doesn't cost anything to join it. Go up on barbaraboxer.com. We are helping candidates. We are helping legal causes because that's the only check on him right now, whether it's the NRDC uh, on environmental issues, the NAACP on voting rights issues, the ACLU. um, I'm leaving out a heck of a lot. La La Raza, um, immigrant rights groups. There's so many people who are holding his feet to the fire, like on the stupid travel ban, which makes zero sense because there's already extreme vetting. We all want vetting. It's in place already. And by the way, the countries that are part of this travel ban have nothing to do with the country that, where all the attacks on 9-11 came from. Please. This is nonsensical. And just FYI, the tourist industry is suffering. People are saying, you know what, I'm not so sure I want to go there. Is it someone going to stop me and ask to see whether you know, I have my passport? It's a $1.6 trillion industry. And it's beginning to feel the effects of this president. So right now, the check and balance in this year is in the courts. We have to help those legal entities. 
that are taking on the job. In 2018 is our first chance to go to the ballot box. And I am just saying right now, I don't want to ever hear you. I wouldn't anyway, but this is just rhetorical. I don't want to ever hear you describe a midterm election as an off-year election. That's what the, it's ridiculous. It's an on-year election. So we have got to organize. I wrote a, um, an opinion piece for Cosmopolitan magazine. I would hope, I hope you will look at it, but I'm going to read a couple of phrases from it. Um, because I'll close with this. How many minutes? Six? Ooh, good. Okay. When people in our country and people around the world think of America, they think of a set of common values that hold us together. And while these values are part of our national consciousness, our nation was not created with them. Instead, they resulted from the promise described in the preamble to the Constitution for Americans to form a more perfect union. We talked about that before. This constant creation of a more perfect union is not easy. It's two steps forward. It's one step back. Or sometimes it's 17 steps back, like it is right now. Our nation has struggled mightily with civil rights, voting rights, battles over our precious environment, the rights of workers, the rights of immigrants. Many have put their lives on the line. As Martin Luther King said in 1965, after the Voting Rights March. Quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. That's his quote. That's a brilliant quote. But it doesn't bend towards justice by itself, does it? It bends towards justice because we're grabbing that arc and we're pulling it towards justice. And there's people on the other end, like Jeff Sessions, pulling it the other direction. And we simply have to keep pulling, and we simply have to be stronger, and we simply can't be complacent because every one of these values is on the line right now. Now, what are some of these values? I laid some of these out in this piece. First, we love freedom. The First Amendment in our Bill of Rights begins by assuring Americans free speech and free press, yet Trump has more than once called press the enemy of the people. I don't know how many of you saw that disastrous press conference where he said, I know it's easy to laugh. It's a good thing. I like to laugh when I watch Saturday Night Live. But it's really deadly serious. He said, the press, you're all giving me stupid hard questions. I want an easy question. So a gentleman raised his hands. He's a religious Jewish guy. And he calls on this religious guy, and he says, what's your question? And he was very sweet. He said, Mr. Trump, uh, Mr. President, I know that you're not anti-Semitic. I know that your family isn't in any way, and I believe none of your staff is. Well, that's not a fact and evidence. That's what I'm saying. But he went on to say, can you tell me what you're doing to respond to the threats against, the bomb threats against the Jewish community centers. 
Well, Trump asked for an easy question. What could be easier? All he had to say was, young man, let me assure you, as President of the United States of America, that those kinds of threats will not be tolerated against any religion in the United States of America, and I am taking this to my Justice Department, and thank you for the question. You know what he said? He said, that question is repulsive. Quote, that question is repulsive. Really? And he said, sit down. This is serious business. That combines almost freedom of the press and freedom of religion in one terrible response by this president. So we love freedom. Two, we welcome. We welcome diversity. We welcome new ideas. We welcome newcomers to our nation. In fact, unless you're Native American, we each have ancestors who moved to America from other parts of the world, each having moved for the same reason that people seek to come here now. They come here for an idea called America. And that idea is under fierce attack. And it's so stupid. If you look at Nobel Prize awarded to Americans since 2000, 31 of the 78 were immigrants to this nation. His attack on immigration, Trump's, is not only mean-spirited, it's a blow to America's leadership in the world. Another value, we protect. We have worked through legislation and legal actions to protect our environment. We live better lives because of the Clean Air Act, the Safe Drinking Water Act, the Clean Water Act. And our national park system has given our children a chance to see great animals uh, like grizzly bears and bald eagles and mountain lions, and those creatures are protected by the Endangered Species Act. One of the first things he did, Trump, was to attack our environment by signing executive orders to weaken environmental protection. And who does he pick to head the head, to be the head of the Environmental Protection Agency? A man who made his mark suing the Environmental Protection Agency. So I tweeted, I now started to tweet. I never tweeted that much. But I figure if he tweets, I'm tweeting. Um, so he said, so my, one of my first tweets was, now that Pruitt is the head of the EPA, is he going to sue himself? Because that's all the man knows how to do. And today or yesterday he said, it's a big question whether there's climate change. There's a big debate. Yeah? between 98% of the scientists who say it's real and 2% who say it's not. So that's, I guess, a real debate. So I'm going to close very quickly. We lift each other up. That's what we do. We don't tear each other down. It's an American value that our kids live a better life than we do, and we help each other through hard times. We understand the importance of good health. As my mother used to say when I was a kid, honey, I don't care how much money you may make in your life. If you don't have your health, you don't have anything. I grew up with that value. And when I had a chance to do something about it, I proudly supported Obamacare. It wasn't perfect, but let me tell you, 20 more million Americans have coverage because of it. 
And that's 20 million families that don't go to sleep at night, frightened to death of what's going to happen. So while he fights against American values, Trump refuses to put to rest questions about his relationship with Putin and a web of, of spies. And this thing changes day in and day out. Many have adopted the simple phrase resist regarding this administration. Yes, I say resist. Resist when he hits us in a place that we know is so wrong. Let it be known. And we can do that by going to town halls, going to marches, writing letters, going on social media, organizing. But we also must persist. Resist and persist. We can't say, oh, I did a great job. I marched five miles. Wasn't it great? No, you've got to do more and more. One thing every day, you decide. Become a leader. 2018 is the first chance to check and balance right-wing forces in the Congress. So you need to stand up because this is an assault. And I, I'll close really with this. Um, every time I ran for office, I always had a hard time. Some of you who are here helped me. Thank you. A lot of you voted for me. A lot of you gave me funds. And I'm so appreciative. But every time I ran, I was not supposed to win. And I won many straight elections, 40 years in elected office. But my pollster would always come to see me, sit down across from me and say, you want the good news first or the bad news first? This would be like three weeks out. Give me the good news. <laughs> the good news is, in a high voter turnout, you win in a landslide. That's fantastic. What's the bad news? In a low voter turnout, you lose badly. And in a medium voter turnout, it's too close to call. <laughs> Why do I share that? Because that's the way it is in congressional races. When we have 35% voter turnout in the nation or in a particular state, I don't even have to know who's on the ballot to know who's going to win. Because conservatives and right-wing people vote, vote, vote. And good for them. And we don't do it on the progressive side. Maybe because, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> maybe it's because, maybe it's because we don't think our candidates are perfect enough. Ridiculous. You know, the New York Times had a piece, and they were really agonizing about this low voter turnout in one of the midterm elections, and they said, oh, people are angry, people are frustrated, people are going nuts, they don't know what to do, so they stayed home. I normally agree with the New York Times. I think that is a cop-out. When someone said, oh, they were all alike, no, they weren't all alike. Or what difference does my vote make? Wrong. Many races are won by one vote per precinct. There's no excuses. You can happily vote and say, you know what, I didn't love her, but she's much better than another dude, and I believe in a woman's right to choose and a clean environment, so yeah, I don't really like her personality, and yeah, I don't. It's a cop-out not to vote. So what I hope is that because you're here, it means you care enough to be here. And the message of my book and the message here today really and truly is, be a leader. How do you think I started? This was nothing that I ever dreamed of. Believe me, my husband can attest to it. I was a cheerleader in college. I was not. And, and one of the things I write in the book is, 
Some of you may be too young to know who Debbie Reynolds is. You know who she is. I write in the book, my husband married Debbie Reynolds and he woke up with gold in my ear. (laughs) Thank you very much, everybody. Being the chair, you get to ask the first question. So I'm going to ask this question. Why did you retire? Ah, why did I retire? You know, it's kind of an interesting answer for you because... I just knew that it was my time maybe to do this, maybe to be free, maybe to be uncensored, unplugged. Um, Once I answered the question by mistake, I said unhinged. I didn't mean that. Um, But, you know, honestly, I, I was saying, there's a reporter here who's followed my career for a long time, and she asked me the same thing. And, you know, I said, suddenly... I have something in me like to be a motivational speaker to motivate people. I hope you felt a little bit of that in your heart today. Did you feel a little bit of that? Um, Because I think that's really what we need. And it's hard to do that from the Senate. You've you've got 50,000 issues weighing on you. This way I can focus in on, you know, the way to organize people and get... So something inside me said... It was time. Now, you could see I'm very perky, and, you know, that I am healthy, thank goodness, and perky and happy, but I knew somehow there was a whole, there was a big bench of people waiting, waiting and praying that they would have a chance to run, and I don't think that's something that should be ignored. And also, there's so many good people in the Senate, like um, Sheldon Whitehouse on the environment, Brian Schatz on the environment, Maria Cantwell on the environment, Elizabeth Warren on consumer issues. I knew you'd love her. Bernie Sanders fighting for those populist issues. Yes, of course. They're all there. So they're there fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. I'd been there for a very long time. And I thought, you know what? I can come home. And believe me, California is such an amazing place. And As much as I enjoyed my job, I wanted to see my husband every single day after 55 years of marriage. That's a nice thing to want to still see someone after you've lived together for so long and uh, to see my kids more. So adding it all up, it seemed like the right thing to do, but I didn't feel like I was leaving anything undone. There's a lot of fighters back there, and I'm going to help them in my pack, through my pack, get reelected and get new people in. Great. So let me combine these two questions there on the same general theme, and they are something that you did touch on in, in your remarks. Says, are you concerned that... Yeah, well, this is not... I'm not the most dexterous person here. Are you concerned that the U.S. seems to be sorting itself out politically by geography with red areas becoming more red and blue areas becoming more blue and related to that, given the division and polarization in the country, where do you draw the line between seeking compromise with the other party and not compromising your own values? Well, two fantastic questions. Oh, boy. Well, the first one, am I concerned about the red-blue divide? Um, When red wins, I'm really concerned. Uh, When blue wins, I'm a little less concerned. But here's the situation. I told you what I think 
nobody votes. I really don't think that, I think the majority of the people see things the way I talked about them. Freedom of the press, freedom of religion, caring about workers' rights, civil rights, human rights. We went through it all. I think the majority of the people, but they take it for granted and they don't somehow connect dots between the way they feel about the idea of their America and what happens. This is a big challenge. It's why I'm doing now what I'm doing with my PAC, speaking to you, speaking all over the country on issues like this. But I also think the answer to the Democrat success lies right here under our eyes. And that is we marry up the Hillary message of standing together makes us strong and the Bernie message of we got to fight for the rights of the middle class. There's nothing contradictory about those two messages. So we need to marry up those messages, fight for the American people with all its diversity, and I think at the end of the day, the Democrats, the progressives, will carry the day. But of course it's worrisome that we won the popular vote and we didn't win the Electoral College, and that's a whole story about an a ridiculous institution called the Electoral College is anti-democratic. It's way past due to be overturned. But, but the reason I don't spend a lot of time talking about it is tough. There is a group in California trying to work on it, and I'm working with them, but I don't want to spend too much time on it. I think we, have, we know what the rules are. We've got to win those states. And we have 10 Democratic senators up. We have 23 up in all in 2018, 10 of whom are running in states where Trump won. So we need to take our message of strength and diversity, fighting for the middle class in populist terms, married up and win those seats and take up a couple of seats uh, also. And that's what I'll be working on. Now, in terms of when do you compromise, okay. You can compromise on a bill, but never compromise on your principles. That's what I'm saying. So I'll give an example. Let's say I'm in local government and a developer comes in with a high-rise proposal that I think is really wrong. And I think it ought to be, you know, five stories and they ought to give, you know, seven acres of the land over for a park. Okay, that's my view. I'm on the left side. I'm on the progressive side. Somebody else comes in. They want it to be ten stories. They want to give an acre. Is there room for compromise? Yeah, I think so. Because you can get that donation up maybe to three, four, five acres, and you can get the size down to where it's not going to ruin people's lives. That's the way. But you, but you don't just roll over and say, sure, build a high-rise, don't give a damn about the public, and go forward. That would be rolling over. So each particular issue puts you on the line and on the spot for you to decide what is a fair compromise without compromising you know, yourself and what you believe in? And those are the tests of an elected official, which are very difficult tests, which you know, I pray that I've passed them most of the time. You can't compromise on abortion rights and say, you know, just say, if you believe in a woman's right to choose, take it away, and you know, what are you going to give me? equal pay for women. I mean, it, you know what I'm saying. So there's certain things that you know you have to stand up and you may go down with the issue, but you need to stand firm. Other places you can compromise. It's very hard to give you a formula because each issue presents itself in a different way. Great. 
So here's, here's another set of questions which I'm trying to integrate. Um, so we live in California, which is a safe democratic seat. You're talking about the 2018 elections. What should a person here do in that context? And here's a follow-up to that. Is there any benefit in calling congressmen and senators from other districts than the one you live in, or are those calls largely ignored? They're all great. I'll start with that one. You can call the leaders of Congress. Like, I would call, if, if, if somebody's, if you care about the repeal of Obamacare, call Paul Ryan and tell him, don't you ever think California is ever going to go red when you take away the right of people to get affordable you know, care? And leave a message with the leaders, McConnell, Ryan, Trump, the secretary of HHS, if that's the issue, if it's environment, same way. But it doesn't really help for you to call into a congressman's office if you don't live there. I think it's a waste of time. What isn't is if you know someone who does live there. Wow, that's really important. But um, I think you want, on any issue, contact the leaders. And in terms of knowing in 2018, that's the softball question. If you go up on barbaraboxer.com, or if you go up to DSC or DCCC, I guess they're .orgs, um, you'll find out which senators are up in 2018. And you will know immediately by reading material Look, information is power. You will know immediately, ask the question, take Sherrod Brown, Ohio. Look up his record. He's stellar. He's fabulous. He fights so hard for the middle class and the poor and the dispossessed and for the environment, all those good things. Sherrod is beautiful. He's from Ohio, tough state. Help Sherrod. Send him $2. Send him a dollar. Get everybody send him $5. Go up on his website. Tammy Baldwin, the first open lesbian to win a seat in the United States Senate of Wisconsin, Trump won that state. Help her. So you can become a very important person in this country for the 2018 race. And, you know, one of the things that somebody suggested to me, which I just loved, was she said, you know, I felt I wanted to help, but I wanted to make it a you know, a gathering of people. So she gathered together people, just random people that she liked and she knew shared her politics. It's kind of the way Emily's list started. And they got together and they said, bring your email list. And between the eight people, they had thousands of people, literally. And they started to fight to organize people to come to the marches and they're going to follow up with this. So now that you have this information, now that we're into this space where everybody can be a leader, I hope you take it up. Okay. Now, this will shock you, but there seem to be a couple of people in the audience who are interested in the president being impeached. Um, oh, stunning, <laughs> shocking revelation. <laughs> uh, and there are a couple of questions on that. Sure. Um, one is sort of, do you think that idea has any legs, and the second part of that is if, to the extent that there is something in uh, the impeachment idea, what, what is, where is he most vulnerable? Are it, is it in his apparent conflicts of interest? So those were the questions. Right. 
Look, there are two um, lawyers who got together. One was from the W. George W. Bush administration, one from Obama. They've sued on the emoluments clause of the Constitution, which says you can't get profits, you can't get gifts, you know, no president. And I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but my father was, my husband is, and my son is. So by osmosis, I think it's a hell of a case. I mean, if we take it to the bank. Um, You know, to me, it's just so obvious the man is gaining politically. Right now, he's in violation of a GSA lease. It says in that lease, this Trump hotel in Washington is federal property. It says you can't be a government employee and get profit. Then the Chinese just gave him his trademarks. I don't know how many trademarks. So, yes, I think there is a case to be made on his conflicts. I think there's a case to be made, I believe, on his attacks on the press. That may be way off the wall. He has free speech. But when you attack the press and you keep some of them out like that, something's wrong there. You're going against the Constitution. He swore to uphold, uphold the Constitution. So I think there's a lot of there there. Uh, But I do want to say this. I think spending a whole lot of time on it for us as citizens, I think it's way better to check and balance him in 2018. It could, believe me, there are enough people working on this in the Congress, trust me, and outside, and we'll see how it develops. But I think the most important thing is to check and balance uh, this president. Uh, in the courts, and I think it's important to help those people who are bringing these lawsuits um, against them, and then um, on the emoluments clause. But the best check is if he loses the protection in 2018 because these people refuse to investigate even the Russian ties. And today we learned, yeah, that Kelly was actually a, a lobbyist, or what, what did they call him, a Say it? I mean, Flint. But what was he? He was a foreign agent, I think, for Turkey. During the whole time, he was being vetted, and nobody knew. And I mean, this thing gets uglier and uglier. Uh, and I think when also, when you're acting for a foreign country like he seems to be, you know, when he said he respected Putin more than Obama because Putin was tough, I guess it's easy, tough. You call the KGB and say, kill my enemies. That's really tough. Um, You know, there's a lot there. So those of you who are interested in this impeachment, stay involved in it, but don't forget the rest of it, which is we can really control what happens, you know, in the election. So I focus on that and keep following this because I do think he's very vulnerable. Two last questions before time runs out. And the first one is actually you spoke in explaining the result of the election you emphasized turnout above yeah. everything else what about the what about the role of uh, people simply not wanting to have a woman as president I think there were some but I also think that was outweighed by the people who really wanted one so I can say I think that was a wash because I know, I can tell you, when I lost my first race, I can honest to God say, it was a local race, 
I believe it was because I was a woman. It was 1972. We were letters to the editor. You're abandoning your family. This was for a part-time job, seven minutes from the house. It was held by a man who worked full-time and had two kids and a wife. But it, I was neglecting my family. So I can truly, really say I, I believe that's why. It changed very soon after. And so now I think the people who want women in office versus the people who don't, I think it's a wash on that. I do. So this last question I think comes from a student who took me, got an A, and thinks he's entitled to any question he wants. Uh, so here's his question. Was, we end on a light note. What was it like to work with Amy Poehler on Parks and Recreation? Oh, that's just great. Well, one of the most fun parts of my job, and one of the rules of the art of tough is you've got to have a sense of humor. You saw mine peek through on occasion. You have to, or you're just, you're not going to make it through the day. You have to have a sense of humor. And one of the good things for me, representing the whole state, is I represented the entertainment industry. And I always fought for intellectual property rights and the right of songwriters to get paid fairly and all the rest of it, and uh, actors to be treated right. So they kind of liked me, and so they start asking me to be in different movies. And I have these little tiny cameo appearances in several things. That's one of them. Amy Poehler is just great. And what I found... and. And I work with Larry David, too, who's just an absolute genius. And, and I love Larry David because more people came up and thanked me for my role in Larry David's show than any legislative work I ever did. <laughs> they said, right? They said, you were so funny. I felt so happy. But, um, but Amy is delightful. And what you find out is when an actor, actress, actor, is... You know, when the lights are down and they're just talking. They're just folks. They're just... And because they've invited me there, because they are fans, they like me, of course, I'm their fans. It's like fan and fan. And I, they'll say, oh, you're great. It's like, no, 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 you're great. Did anyone see that movie where... Who does that, Stu? Where the one... The guy who's the shrink. He's so funny. Bill, is it Billy Crystal? What... Robert Dinner and Billy Crystal. And what is it? It's one plays the role of a shrink, and he says... Analyze this. I analyze think. this! I could watch that a hundred times, and, the guy, and he says, you're the greatest. And the other says, no, no, no. This, he's talking to a mafia guy. He says, no, no, you're the greatest. He says, no, you're the greatest. <coughs> no, I swear to God, you're the greatest. But it's kind of like that with when I did these things in Hollywood, because they say, oh, you're so good and I'm so proud to have you and I say oh no no you're so funny and you you reach so many more people and you're the important person so this stuff will go on for 15 minutes and then we'll get down to it and it's really all about just being normal people and working with Amy was just a blast and I just thank God for those comedians comedians and comedians because they are getting us through a very tough time and the humor is, isn't it true? The humor is biting, but it also, it gives voice to, you know, our sense of, is this really happening? <laughs> and how do I really handle it? So um, 
I think that is a good way for me to thank you. Um, how do I really handle, you know, my feelings about what's happening? It's seeing young people uh, caring about their community, their politics. Um, I can tell you millennials um, voted 87% for Hillary, and the turnout was disaster. Oh, it was just a disaster. I can't remember, 25, 20, so bad. So what I'm saying to you is thank you for being here. I mean, my son got a degree in the political economy of an industrialized society. That's impressive. And I, a political economy of industrialized society, and that's how this all came about. My giving my archives here, my, you know, being here to speak to you today at the Barber Boxer Lecture. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll come back in a year when we have an up-and-coming woman uh, other than me, because I I came up and I went. Um, so we need someone who's coming up, and um, I hope you'll give her the chance to see such a wonderful turnout. Thank you so much. Love you guys. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.